0: For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. Hey, Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Gillian Perkins. Uh, Gillian is a marketing strategist for online entrepreneurs and the author of the book, Sorted. Uh, She currently owns and operates four successful companies in four completely different industries. Love that, offline uh, and online. Uh, you may know her from her youtube channel which has almost five hundred thousand subscribers i checked in the lat and the earliest video that i could find was three years ago which that's a lot of growth and a little bit of time uh today uh, so fun fact actually too is she's actually a self-publishing school student um she worked so she worked with us um to help Uh, publish her book so I'm excited to talk about uh, talk with her about her journey for publishing her book how she's grown so quickly on YouTube uh, and also about YouTube uh, and using YouTube to sell more books or to grow your business so Gillian really great to have you here
1: Yeah, it's so great to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, I know, you know, I was a self-publishing student and that I had a great experience with that. And then we kind of like our worlds diverged a little bit and then we were brought back together recently. And so it's been really fun to connect with you a little bit and to do some, some fun things together lately.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, it's so, it's so funny. It's been so fun kind of reconnecting Cause it, it, I, I feel like it'd been so long that, you know, I was, we were looking on YouTube and, and, and Googling different videos or YouTube searching different videos. And we're like, man, this is really great. We should reach out to her. And it's like, hold up. We worked together years ago <laughs> and, and just seeing how much you've grown. And we got lots of fun stuff to talk about and catch up on. So uh, yeah. I'd love to, to, to go back to uh, kind of the, the, the start from a book perspective. So why did you decide to write your first book? Uh, And what was kind of the purpose behind it?
1: Oh, you're starting with hard questions I don't know the answer to. So I think part of it was you know, as I'm sure many people can relate to, I've always had this desire to be an author. I just thought that that sounded like, you know, it was on my bucket list basically. Um, and then um, without letting the story get too long, I had this strange life experience where long story short, we bought a house and then we were not able to move into the house because after we bought it and signed all the papers, we found out that there were renters in the house who we'd been told had a month to month rental agreement. And it turned out they actually had a year long lease. So we could not move into the oh. house that we had just purchased. Um, and so we had to, but we had already given notice at the apartment where we lived and we asked, could we stay longer? And they said, nope, we already rented it out to someone else. So we just had to pack up our lives and we went and stayed at a different apartment for a couple months. And we stayed with my parents for a month. And finally, after a while, we we're able to move into this house that we had purchased. Um, but in this process, I was living with very little for several months. Um, I specifically remember that I didn't even have a pair of scissors in the little bit of stuff that we'd packed up that we were actually living out of in these temporary places, and it was a stressful experience and a tough experience. But it was also a really good experience to live with so much less. Basically, I was forced to be a minimalist, um, just like the the uh, cold turkey become a minimalist, um, and so I really saw like a lot of benefits from the, my minimalism journey that was unintentional. Uh, and I wanted to share that with people and show them, you know, some things that i learned in the process and how it had impacted my life since then. And some ways that I'd simplified both my possessions, but also my schedule and just my commitments and things like that to create a life that I enjoyed living more and was less focused on managing stuff and more focused on enjoying the things that I had and enjoying the people in my life in my lives. I yeah, lives. Um, multiple
0: lives, okay, anyway, yeah. so
1: I wrote this book and I think I wrote it, um, right before I met you. And I like in the month before I met you, I had sat down and I wrote this book in a matter of one month, about, th- I think 31, 32 days. And it, My motivation for writing it so fast wasn't just that I was in a hurry to get it on paper, but because I'd tried writing books before that and I'd never managed to get past the first chapter at the most. Normally it was just the first Mm -hmm. couple pages. Mm -hmm. And it was just because I'm an idea person and I'd start writing and then I'd get a different idea and I'd go off and start working on a different project. And so I thought if I'm going to get this done, I just have to like push through it real fast and stay really focused, really committed on this for a short period of time. I'm not going to be able to stay committed to it for a year or more. So I had written this whole book and then we hopped on a plane just a couple of days later, hopped on a plane and went to San Diego. And I met you in San Diego to business conference. And it was just like fate because, um, I had a book that needed to get published and you told me how to publish a book.
0: <laughs> That's And that was how Rod's ride's conference. Right?
1: Yeah. Uh, best yeah. year ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. And so, I mean, two-parter, um, how did you get the uh, the the draft of the book done in 30 days like what did that process look like and then when you saw me speak in san diego uh, i mean i think a lot of people are like hey i already got the book done like i don't really need help like what made you decide to say hey i want to work with you guys at self publishing school
1: Yeah. Well, um, how I got it done was I woke up at, I was, I was, well, I was, it was a Hal Elrod conference. So I was on an early morning kick, (laughs) right? So I was waking up at 5 AM every morning. I woke up at 5 AM and I wrote for an hour. And my goal was to get at least a thousand words done. And then I could stop. So if I got a thousand, but I was basically writing one chapter. Um, so you know, sometimes it was just a thousand words. Sometimes it was closer to 2000, but just a minimum of a thousand words and get through the chapter. And then I could call it a day and go back to bed or, you know, not normally, but, (laughs) um, and so that was good for me because I had at this point, I had my first baby. And so I, you know, he was going to wake up later in the day and I was going to be busy with him and also busy running my, two different businesses that I was building. Um, and so I was not going to have time later in the day. So I really just had to make it that first thing in the morning priority if it was going to happen. And that worked for me. Um, I don't think I could have maintained that long term, but I could do it for a month and it got done.
0: That's great. And then and, what, what yeah, sir. Yeah. To
1: answer your second question. Um, well, I think, you know, I put a lot of hard work into the book at that point, but I had, absolutely no audience. You know, this was now a little bit over three years ago. It was a little, maybe about six months before I started my YouTube channel that I run today. And so I, I had no audience. I had a handful of friends on Facebook. That was it. Um, and so I just thought, how in the world am I going to get this book out into the world? How am I going to sell it? I don't think I stand a chance of getting a book deal from a publisher. I don't have an audience to sell it to myself. How would I possibly do this? And um, in the presentation that I saw you give in San Diego, um, you really just kind of opened my mind to like the possibility that even as an unknown author, that my book could potentially become a success and you spoke the truth.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. And so uh, I want to kind of follow up question, what would be your advice for uh, any moms out there uh, trying to write a book? Uh, i mean you had a, it sounds like newborn one year old yeah very young child yeah he was
1: about <laughs> 2 at the time
0: okay. um and
1: i was pregnant with my second i believe okay um who was born yeah i was about 4 months pregnant or so um well i've heard a lot of moms say that they couldn't do that because they're not a morning person, you know, so what worked for me wouldn't work for them. And I would just kind of challenge them and say, well, how important is it to you get this book written? Um, And also you don't have to become a morning person forever, right? But you also don't have to be a morning person at all because after your kid goes to bed at night, you could find some time then. The, The great thing about kids is that they sleep 10 to 12 hours a day and adults sleep eight hours a day or a lot of us less. Right. (laughs) Um, And I think God made it that way on purpose (laughs) so that we don't go crazy. (laughs) So um, you, you have two to four hours, possibly more of time when your child isn't sleeping and you can do anything with that time. And I think a lot of the time as parents, we're tired from dealing with the children and all the other things that, you know, are in our lives. And so we don't really have a lot of like, decision-making power left in our brains and so we just like scroll social media um so that's why morning can be great because you're getting the first part of your energy before you have that decision fatigue so you can choose to make a good decision and work on your biggest goal um but i know a lot of people also including myself get a lot of creative energy in the evening and so after you put your kid to bed you might feel tired but if you're really inspired by what you're writing about then you can funnel that creative energy into that project
0: yeah and and it's funny how many, I feel like people that we work with that actually um, there's a girl on our team who's uh, one of our coaches now. She started as a student and she was, she said she just gave birth or was about to give birth. I forget. It was like on her computer, taking a coaching call with her coach, like finishing the book. And so it's like, I feel like metaphorically, a lot of people uh, talk about a book is you're birthing this baby as a book, and so it's almost like this the simultaneous birthing of a kid mm-hmm, <laughs> or, or pregnancy <laughs> with a kid and pregnancy with a book. Um, so that's really cool to see. What um, what was the toughest part of the process for you? I mean, you you got the draft done in 31 days. Was that the hardest part? Was it then moving into the marketing? I mean, you oh, talked about with with yeah. no platform, no audience. So I think that's good to hear because a lot of people are probably. You know, watching or listening this, and oh, cool, well, that that's great for Gillian, but she probably has this massive audience because you do now, but it yeah. didn't start that way. So, how'd you do that? And what was the toughest part?
1: Yeah, I mean, going into it, I certainly thought the toughest part was going to be the marketing. That ended up being one of the easiest parts, really. Um, the toughest part, I think, was um, two different things. One, was as I was getting just towards the end of that month when I was writing the book, um I was starting to lose momentum. I was tired of writing. you know, I was kind of ready for the next project, really? <laughs> and so just like keeping keeping going at the end of that month was tough. Um, but probably even tougher than that was the editing. Um, I hired a couple people to edit, and that was something that I found it tough to find the right editor, but I also edited it one time myself. and Uh, It was just grueling to read the work that I had written, not because it was bad, but just because um, I was ready for the next project already. So I wasn't that interested anymore in this thing that I had written. And um, also just like, I mean, when you wrote it, you know what it says. And so it's hard to keep your focus and your attention on it. Um, So especially for an entire book, like I can do it for a blog post, but for an entire book, it's just a challenge. It's, It's kind of a marathon.
0: 100%. Now, what was, what was the most helpful pro, uh, part of the process in, in working with us or like the most helpful piece kind of throughout that journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was just like the marketing strategy. Um, like I said, I had no audience. And so if I just like posted on you know social media and said, I'm releasing a book, I mean, it would have been crickets, but um, you had a strategy that you guided me through um, with doing a uh, having a launch team for the book that was so pivotal, um, in the whole process that launched, I, and I didn't have an audience. So, um, you know, I was, I had joined a couple Facebook groups and I just shared in the Facebook groups and I said, I'm working on this project. I'm going to be releasing this book soon. Does anyone want to be on my launch team and see the behind the scenes of the process and get a free copy of the book? That was all they were promised. But, uh, I think almost 300 people said, raised their hand and said, yes, me. Um, and that's so that awesome. really blew me away. And then, you know, of course, whenever people sign up to say they'll help you with something, you're going to have, you know, a certain percentage of the people For who sure. do and who don't. Right. <laughs> but um, at least 100 of them or so. Followed through and actually wrote me a review on Amazon and shared it on social media, and that was like the biggest thing. Like that strategy completely came from you, and that was what sold ten thousand copies of the book in those first couple of months and wow. made it an Amazon bestseller.
0: <laughs> so, ten thousand copies of the book in the first couple of months. Like, how yeah. how did you do it? And and what sold the most books?
1: Um. Well, I mean, it really was primarily that strategy. Um, As you teach in your course, we first had the book free, for the first, hmm, I want to say four, did it hit four days? I'm not exactly certain on that, but about four days I think. Um, and then we switched it to paid. And so when we switched it to paid, it stayed in at the top of the free charts for an hour or something. Um, and it also gave it a lot of momentum on the paid charts. So we just got a lot of visibility. And the other thing that I would attribute the success to honestly is the cover design. Um, we used a designer who you recommended, um, And I think who designed the covers of a couple of your books as well. Oh, yeah. And she did an amazing job. I had tried to design the cover. Well, actually, I don't know if I tried myself, but I had tried having some other designers design, and I told them what I wanted. And it really didn't work, because I didn't really know what I wanted, and what they came up with was just not right. I knew it wasn't right. And so um, with this designer... I didn't tell her what I wanted. All I told her was like a vague idea I had. Like, I think I like this color and this color. Like that was pretty much what I told her. And then I told her I wanted <laughs> to keep it simple. Like that was what I told
0: her. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and she created this and it was beautiful. And I think that this cover on the Amazon charts just did really well. Like it was very appealing to people. So it had visibility from being on the Amazon, Amazon charts. And then it was getting clicks because it was pretty.
0: hundred <laughs> percent. And when it's, it's all the... The, the, the fundamentals of a best-selling cover, right? It's It grabs attention, the title is easy to read, and your potential reader instantly understands yes. what the book's about and whether or not it's for them. And when I look at that, and I've got your Amazon listing pulled up here, it's like I instantly see it, I see the cover, sorted, f- freedom through structure, then you go straight into the book description, this is your chance to finally break free from clutter, whether you realize you're not your home schedule or mind, your home, your schedule and your mind is filled with clutter. And then it's just straight into it. Right. So I instantly understand what it's about. It's clear. It's a good looking cover. It's well designed. It looks professional. I think that's, that's huge. And you did a great job on that. Let's, let's shift gears a little bit. It sounded like the book came first. It's like chicken or the egg, right? <laughs> the book came first, then the YouTube channel. Is that correct? Or had That you, is. Like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is the order of events. Um, so, people can learn from my mistake here. Not that I would necessarily change how I did this, but basically, um, I wrote this book about something I was just passionate about. And Mm -hmm. this started to grow my email list because I, I, I did not do this very elegantly, but I said, if you want more free stuff, this is like practically exactly my words. If you want more free stuff, then sign up for my email list. Um, and about a thousand people or so immediately went and signed up for my email list, which was really cool. Um, but those people then had nothing to do with, um, the business that I ran, which at the time was a local marketing agency I was running. Um, And so I had been, you know, working on growing my email list for my business. And then suddenly I had these people who had a different interest. Um, So it did help to start to build my audience a little bit, but it wasn't nearly as strategic as it could have been. A few months later, I started my YouTube channel. Um, I believe that this book came out in May and then I started my YouTube channel in July. So it's just a couple months later. and was able to grow that and the, the two weren't really related but they could have been and so that's like my advice to other people who might be doing this mm. regardless of which one you do first if you're doing you know two different things just like if you can tie them together then you're going to build more momentum
0: yeah so if you were to go back you would you would have written a book that was related to your business first and then you would have a business a book that's related to that business and a youtube channel that's related to that business, yeah so for sure the whole ecosystem mm-hmm. i see I see. Um, so you, you start this YouTube channel a couple months uh, after uh, the, the launch in the book and, and, and it's different. And so I would imagine it's not, a, it's not a huge thing that's like a huge focus to sell books from the YouTube mm-hmm. channel. Um, so why, why the YouTube channel? Why start the YouTube channel after you publish a book?
1: Yeah. The YouTube channel is related to my business. So basically I had had a different YouTube channel now about six years ago. And the videos I made on this old YouTube channel were truly horrendous. Um, just like the quality was really low. Cause I didn't know how to make <laughs> videos at all. I had yeah. a really poor quality camera, just everything about the videos that could have been poor quality was poor quality. And, um, so I, but I kept doing it for a couple of years, um, off and on, wasn't super consistent with it, but despite all the mistakes I made and how inconsistent I was, um, I still had a few videos that really took off and went viral to some degree the one that was the most popular got around like 400,000 views. Um, and you know, where most of my videos were getting just, you know, a couple hundred maybe. And so I shut that channel down because I had just like kind of realized how bad the videos were (laughs) basically. And I was, and this wasn't what I want to be doing. I don't know what I'm doing here, but it's not my true calling. Like long-term, this is not where I want to be. So I shut that channel down, but then a couple years later, I'm working on building my marketing agency. And I remember I was able to get visibility on YouTube pretty easily. Like I didn't try that hard. I did everything wrong. And still somehow a lot of people saw my face, saw my channel. And so I decided to try it for my business. And so that was why I started that channel. And, um, you know, I didn't of course know for sure it would work, but it seemed pretty likely to me, but I just committed for three months. I'm just going to post a video every week for three months and see what happens. And three months later, I had almost 4,000 subscribers on that channel. Um, it was 1,000 the first month, 2,000 the next month, and then the following month from two to four. And so it clearly it was working. Um, it only sped up from there. So I, and then I switched from one video a week to two videos a week to speed it up even more. Um, but I don't remember what your question was at this point, but that's why I started when I, when, the YouTube channel. <laughs>
0: yeah, why I started the YouTube channel. And so then how how did you get your early traction on your YouTube channel? Like what worked yeah. well? And then how have you grown so quickly since then?
1: Yeah, so I mean like there, there's a lot that could be talked about here, but um, one of the things, things that really like gave me faith from the beginning that like there was a possibility of succeeding was I noticed that on YouTube, you know, I, I watch a lot of YouTube and I noticed that I was hard pressed to find a channel that actually had good quality videos on it um, that wasn't growing quickly or already big. Like I, I really couldn't find any tiny little channels that weren't moving at all that had great videos. So I thought if I can just learn how to make great videos, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to be successful at this. And so that seemed like it took a lot of the guesswork out of it. A lot of like the, the, the lottery element, you know, like people think, Oh, if I get lucky, then my channel will grow. When I thought about it that way, it seemed like it wasn't going to be just chance. Like it would be predictable. Um, and so that's like, I would say one of the number one things that really contributed to the success of my channel from the start was just that I really focused on quality. Now I hadn't gone to film school between my terrible videos and my great, you know, my new channel at all. So my first videos were not that great, but I was just really committed to showing up every single week, making the best video I could and working on making every video better than the last. So like learning from my mistakes, basically, um, and just not being afraid to fail, but also, I don't know, like putting in a real effort. With the old channel, I was just like, just making videos for fun, which is fine, but it was just for fun and I wasn't really trying. Um, so that's the first thing that changed. Um, the second thing was absolutely YouTube SEO. Um, the cool thing about YouTube is that it is primarily, um, search driven. Uh, plus they've got this really cool thing called suggested videos, which basically is just gold for people who don't have audiences and want to get discovered. Like YouTube has built a machine to suggest content to people who want content and to like match make those two things, people who want the content and the content who, that they will like. Um, so if you start making videos and you're making good videos that some people will really like, then after a few months, the YouTube algorithm, we'll figure out, oh, these are good videos, people like them, people click on them and it will start suggesting them to more and more people. I mean, that's how content goes viral and that's also how a channel can grow really quickly. Um, And so by making good videos and then understanding YouTube SEO, I was able to start working with the algorithm instead of just like struggling against it and that's what really did the growth.
0: Hey, Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement Okay, so it sounds like a lot of growth is coming from, yeah, it's highest quality content possible. Learn the algorithm, which I feel like is, in a way, it's funny when you learn these platforms or ecosystems. It's very transferable. Oh yeah, Amazon same way as yep. iTunes. It's, it's high quality content that keeps users on the site, uh, and then uh, and and then understand the algorithm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the the understand the algorithm piece, like. It, you know, what are the biggest things that you learn there? How does that impact the types of videos that you create? Like anything that you learned as you went down that rabbit trails to like really say, oh, okay, here are the top three or four things that you can do to maximize mm-hmm. suggested video views or YouTube SEO or all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So first of all, you're just so right that the, the main basic idea of like good quality content plus understanding the algorithm, like you transfer that from one platform to the next. And that is like, that is the formula to being successful on any platform, right? The tricky thing is that what the algorithm likes on different platforms is different. Um, and so like, you can't just rip your video audio and put it on a podcast and necessarily have both the video and the podcast do well, because that format of content might work really well for YouTube and Terrible for um, iTunes or the other way around, right? Um, and like same thing with if you just took your YouTube video and you stuck it on Instagram or Pinterest, it's not going to do very well, even if it's a great video, because it's not going to be optimized for that platform. Um, so as far as the things that the YouTube algorithm cares about the very most, um, there are only two metrics that the algorithm prioritizes. Um, one of them is click-through ratio. So when your video is suggested, be that in search or in the suggested videos, what percentage of people click on it? If it's suggested to hundred people, do two of them click on it or do 10 of them click on it? The higher that click-through ratio is, the more the algorithm perceives that people are interested in that video and the more it will suggest it to people. Um, And just for reference, anything above about 4% for a click-through ratio is considered good, normal. Um, And if you're over five, then that's great. Um, and then the other thing the algorithm cares about is watch duration. So after someone clicks on your video, how long do they keep watching? Um, anything over 40% here is considered good. Obviously if your video is shorter then that will be a shorter period of time. If your video is longer, that would be a longer period of time. But um, sometimes people think, oh, therefore I should then make long videos so that I can get more watch time and rank better. And that can work. But the tricky thing is that the longer your videos are, the more difficult it is to keep the video fast paced and interesting to keep people watching. And so your watch uh, duration percentage tends to really go down. Um, And so it can be a lot It can work a lot better to make shorter videos where you can kind of like keep up the pace of the video um, and keep your audience riveted. The sweet spot for YouTube is 12 minutes, actually specifically 12 and a half minutes. That is the ideal length for a YouTube video, where it's long enough that you're going to rack up that watch time, but short enough that people will still click on it. They won't see it like, oh, that's a 60 minute video. I don't have time for that. Right. Um, And they'll actually normally watch most of the video.
0: That's awesome. Taking notes over here. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, 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 watch time and watch duration. Which one's more important? Because I, I think you hit on a catch twenty two there. Which is okay. Yeah. If you record longer videos and your watch time might be better, but if they're only watching 10% of the video, that's kind of a negative signal to Mm -hmm. YouTube.
1: So quite a few people have actually studied this, um, Mm -hmm. done experiments and talked to YouTube about it. And ultimately YouTube at least claims that these things are equally important, um, that they both contribute. Um, And that's actually what people have found in their experiments too, that both things are important. Um, But I would say that for, um, for... this, from the standpoint of creating the video, you're going to create better content if you create somewhat shorter videos. And so going after that longer watch duration will um, be the better like strategic choice for making your video content. If you're just trying to um, get people to like make a long video so that people will probably watch, you know, even if they watch 10%, it's a lot of time, then you're not going to make your content in the same way. So it's better to make a shorter punchier video basically and try to get people to watch the whole thing. Like that should be your goal. Get people to the end of your video.
0: Mm, I see. How, how do you decide what what to create videos on? And mm-hmm. how does that, yeah. and, and how do you do that intentionally so that your, your channel grows faster?
1: Yeah, well, um, it's easy to get video ideas if you are involved with your audience. So even if they're not, or involved with the audience you want to have. So even if they're not following you right now, if you're just in those communities, you're going to see the questions that are cropping up. You're going to see the topics that are interesting. So that can be like an initial starting place. Um, If you do have an audience, of course, you can ask your audience what topics they're most interested in. I would highly recommend though, framing this as a closed ended question, not an open ended question. So not what do you want me to make videos on? But do you want me to make a video on topic A, topic B, or topic C. You'll get many, many more responses and the responses will be actually higher quality because people don't know what they want until you give them some options, right? So if you ask them what they want you to make videos on, then you're gonna just get all sorts of like out in left field answers (laughs) um, that aren't really helpful for your business. But if you give them a few options that you've already strategically have decided would be good for attracting like the right customers to your business, attracting your target audience, then um, yeah, you'll just get much better information there. Another thing that's a great way to get ideas is to look at your competitors' channels and see what videos they've made that, you know, it might just give you an idea that you can see how it would strategically fit with your business um, or to look and see which videos have been popular for them. And I would highly recommend doing both because you don't want to make a video just because it was popular because you might be attracting the wrong people um, and all views are not equal, right? (laughs) We want to get views from the right people. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to make a video just because like, Ooh, this is like so strategic and like, it will really make people want to buy my product if it's a topic no one's interested in. So a mistake I see people make there is they'll make a video about their product. So like, let's say they have a course about like how to attract your dream partner. And then they'll make a video. That's like, why to buy the course, how to attract your dream partner or something like that, Mm, Um, when, you know, the name of your specific course or product might not be ranking in search at all, like nobody's looking for it. So it's not going to rank well, people are not going to click on it. Um, and so that's a mistake you can make. Um, but as far as coming up with video ideas, I always recommend coming up with just as many ideas as you can from each of these different like, uh, avenues that I've mentioned and compiling a list. So you need to write these ideas down. If you don't write the ideas down when you have them, then they will leave and then you'll get the same idea again. And again and again and you won't ever move on to the next new idea and you'll also obviously be forgetting the idea so write them down so the shoe can actually start to accumulate a catalog um, this will give you lots of ideas and it will allow you to pick only the very best ideas because you'll have a lot of ones to choose those like very best juiciest ones from
0: that's great you mentioned a phrase not all views are created equal um, what is what does that mean and, and why is that
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine if you put up say a billboard in your town and you're selling a niche product. So you're like selling self-publishing services and you put up a billboard. You're going to be paying a lot of money to show that ad to a lot of people who have no interest in self-publishing a book, right? Um, Whereas the cool thing about YouTube or Google is that, or any sort of thing where people are choosing what content they're consuming. I mean, this goes for like Facebook ads too, is you're targeting a certain type of viewer. Um, And so you're not paying. And of course you're not paying for YouTube views, but you're not um, wasting that exposure that you could be getting from the right people on the wrong people. Um, And so I think that... You know, a lot of people think, oh, I don't know how to make a viral video, a video that is going to be on the trending tab on YouTube, or I don't know how to be popular on TikTok or on Instagram. You don't need that. You just need to appeal to the right people because those are the people who are ultimately going to be interested in buying from you. Um, And... You know, even if, you're, even if you're not using it for business, even if you're just creating a personal brand or a personal YouTube channel, you still want to attract the right people who will really enjoy your content, who will get something out of it. You don't just want, you know, every, every random person out there watching your video because it won't be helpful to them and it's not going to be helpful to you either.
0: Yeah, 100%. That's great. So we've got the fundamentals, right? You've got high quality videos, you're focused on uh, YouTube, SEO, you know the algorithms, like all those things. Um, you're pick, you're strategically picking video topics. We're, we're, we're thinking about click-through rates, so designing good thumbnails that get people to click on the videos yep. and then watch time and ideal watch time is, or the ideal video length, 12 and a half minutes. Uh, hopefully they're watching at least four, more than 40%. Okay, so those are all the fundamentals, right? Outside yep. of that. And I know I just took away like probably all the most important things. But so, so you, you've got all that covered outside of that, what would you say are like the top three things you've done over the last three years to grow even faster? Cause I think there's probably a lot of people that are doing that and aren't at about half a million subscribers in three years. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I would first done? of all
1: say just that, like, I think a lot of people kind of like think they're doing all that. But if they actually like work through a checklist, um, you know, like they wonder why isn't my channel growing? I'm posting videos every week. But if they look at those things, they'll notice that they're missing just a couple of them. But those things that you just mentioned, they really are like all the basics and you have to do all of those basic things now there are a couple of them that there's wiggle room on like having videos that are 12 and a half minutes there are people that make five minute videos there are people that make hour-long videos that do great but those are the exceptions to the rule and so if you want to increase your chances of success you'll stick to that rule um so it's more like a, a guideline for giving you the best odds um but so those basic things like click through ratio and watch duration like you have to figure out how to get those things like in check or else you're just not going to grow. So, but beyond those things to try to answer your question, like I I honestly have to say, there's not much beyond those things that really like 90% of my success has come from just those things. Um, But so one of them I would say is trying to make videos that I would enjoy watching myself. So not just videos that are like good from a technical standpoint, not just videos that are about like popular keywords, but trying to make videos that I would find helpful. Um, and, like not talk like a robot, you know, I don't know, just be a real person and make good quality content. That's enjoyable to watch. That's definitely something people miss sometimes is like, they get a little bit too analytical about it. And they're just like, this is a keyword I need to make a video on. It needs to be 12 and a half minutes. Um, and then they make a a really boring video about that keyword for 12 and a half minutes. Right. Um, but entertainment is the name of the game on YouTube. And it's not just for people who are doing comedy videos or people who are floor gang or something like that. Right. (laughs) Um, it, it goes for every, every industry, every niche people have a lot of choices between content that they can consume. And we, there's a lot of demands on our attention and distractions out there, so people aren't going to keep watching a video if it's boring, okay? Unless they're being forced to by their corporate, you know, it's like you have to watch this training or you have to pat like watch the video to take this test for something. And and people like they still don't remember it even if they're forced to watch it, right? But when people are choose, people normally are choosing to watch YouTube videos, right? They're not forced to watch them, so we have to make content that they will choose to watch, um, whether it's useful educational content, or it's just completely entertainment content. Either way, it has to be entertaining. It has to interest people. It has to engage people. It has to keep them focused on the video. Um, and it's like definitely easier said than done. Um, but I think your, like, your question is assuming that I must have like, I don't know, run YouTube ads or like gotten oh, on a no, podcast no or something like that. And I haven't done any of those things. I've practically never promoted my video with like a podcast interview or a guest blog or anything like that. I've never run a single ad for my YouTube channel. It honestly has all been from just making mm. good quality content that people enjoy watching on topics that I've researched that I like that I've done the, the keyword research on to mm. see that there's mm-hmm. po- that there is interest in those topics. Um, mm. and then working with the algorithm, like it really all comes down to that.
0: I see who would have thunk it. Uh, so, cu- couple final questions here, kind of in the home stretch. How how do you monetize the channel, uh, and and what tips do you have for people who want to use YouTube or use a YouTube channel um, to help with selling more books or growing their business?
1: Yeah. Um, so, how I monetize the channel? Well, um, the first, like, just most direct way that the channel is monetized is I'm a YouTube partner, um, which is just fancy way of saying you checked a box that said, sure, I'll let YouTube run ads on my videos and pay me money. Um, YouTube pays creators 50% of the ad revenue that companies pay to have their ads on YouTube. Um, And that is a lot more money, I would say, than a lot of people realize. Um, Now, at this point, If I say the amount of money and you see how many subscribers I'd have, I have, you'd think, oh, well, if I don't have many subscribers, it wouldn't be very much, but it has nothing to do with subscribers. It has to do with views. And my channel has honestly gotten about the same number of views per month ever since I was about three months in as it does today, because I get most of my views from search and suggested, not from my subscribers. And so I've been getting about half a million views on my channel for the last three years. Um, (laughs) and so what's cool about that is that even if someone's just starting out and they don't have an audience yet, there's still that potential for them to start ranking in search pretty much right away. It can take a couple months for the algorithm to like figure out what the videos are about and that sort of thing. But after that initial period, um, like I can compete with someone who has ten times the subscribers as I do, and on you know the views for any given video. And someone who has a hundred subscribers can also be competing with me in in just the same way. So, anyway, so I've been earning around five thousand dollars a month just from YouTube ads for the last three years, um, and so now that my business has grown and I've been doing YouTube this long. That's not that significant in terms of my business revenue, but three years ago, that was huge. That was, you know, most of my revenue before I really had any processes that were successfully selling products in my business. It was like, my family can live on just the money that YouTube is paying me for these videos that I would make, even if YouTube wasn't paying me because, you know, making these videos is growing my brand. Making these videos is driving customers to my business. Um, making these videos is fun. So there are a lot of reasons I want to make these videos and YouTube is offering to pay me. Um, so that's a really cool opportunity that I think a lot of people don't realize is as big as it is. Um, and then beyond that, I'm using the videos primarily to share free offers, lead magnets, opt-in offers, um, to get people on my email list. And then based on the different opt-in offers that they um, opt in for, um, I'll sell them a product that's relevant. So I'll send them a series of emails, say like, okay, you downloaded you know, this how to start a business checklist. And so maybe you're interested in joining startup society, which is a program that will guide you through the process of doing all those things you need to do to get your business off the ground. Um, mm. And so it's, I mean, it's just a sales funnel where we're using YouTube as the, the visibility element and the element that is attracting the leads that then go through our funnel.
0: That's great. And so I would imagine the majority of the revenue is is from the products and stuff.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Specifically yeah. from my membership program.
0: Cool. Now, what um, what would be your tips? I know you're not doing this much because it's the YouTube channel is different than the topic of the book. But what would be your tips for people who say, "All right, I want to use YouTube to to help sell more books." How would you do that?
1: Well, um, I think you might have better advice on this, honestly, than I do. I mean, I have some ideas, but I mean, they could do exactly what I'm doing with my other products. They could have some sort of opt-in offer and then sell. You know, send people um, a series of emails to sell the books to them, right? Um, it's also just with a lower priced product, like a book, a lot of the time, just the visibility, you can kind of like fast track people from hearing about it to buying it. So just like mentioning it in your videos or even having like just a graphic that you add to the end of each of your videos, um, that says like the title of the book and that like one sentence, what it's about, and then find it on Amazon. I mean, that alone when you're getting the, enough visibility, that could drive a significant number of sales. Um, there are lots of different ways, like you know, visibility is really one of the hardest things to get, potentially, or at least a lot of people find it to be the hardest to get um, in order to sell the products. And so YouTube just provides a really, I would say, predictable way to create visibility aside from or outside of paid sources, like paid ads. I would say YouTube is probably the most predictable one out there.
0: Awesome. Now, w- w- um, switching gears a little bit and kind of in the home stretch here. So, you know, we've been we've been focused and probably for the last little bit over a year on growing a self-publishing school YouTube channel. Uh, and then I've got another YouTube channel that's called Seven Figure Principles Show. It's about lessons I've learned from growing my company, zero to 20 million in in five and a half years. Um, and so that's kind of like a fun side project. And very much like it's, it's it's just like this thing that we're doing on the side that's not a ton of focus Um, but it's been growing pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, have you seen either one of those channels? Um, Not to put you on the spot.
1: I've seen um, the self-publishing school and I haven't seen the other one at all, but I did look at your self-publishing school channel after we talked a few weeks ago and I didn't know it existed, but I went and looked at it, yeah.
0: Okay, so off of first impression, you might not have anything, I'm putting you on the spot, it's totally fine. Off of first impression, (laughs) what are we doing well? What are we doing wrong?
1: (laughs) The, the things you're doing wrong stand out to me more so. Yes, So <laughs> um, just posting
0: these interviews in video format. Yeah, don't not, post this interview, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay, so there are two like things that kind of three things, I guess, that I immediately just see that you could do to easily improve. One of them is video length, right? Like your videos, it's mostly these interviews right now, at least. And so on average, they're like 50 minutes or so long. Um, And so that's, you know, obviously not going to be performing as well. Um, If I look back on your channel, just um, to last year, basically, I guess, then you weren't posting these interviews. You're posting um, a lot of videos actually that were potentially too short, but they were still doing better than the interviews were. But a little further back, we have a lot of videos that are around 12 minutes and those videos for some reason or other have like 10 times the views. (laughs) So, um, you know, those videos don't have to take a long time to make. They're only 12 minutes long, right? Um, And so you're going to get a much bigger return on your time investment. Um, And then the other thing is your thumbnails. Um, So especially with these podcast interviews, um, you're using a template thumbnail and it has different words on everyone, but it's a template and templates do not do well on YouTube. Um, Basically, people subconsciously think they've already watched the video. Now, if you ask them, did you watch that video? They'd say no, but their subconscious just takes a glance at it and thinks that they've already watched it and that they've already gotten the value from it. And so it moves on to the next more interesting thing. Um, And so when I look back at your older videos, um, your thumbnails have a lot more variety to them. And so uh, that's definitely a reason why they would have been doing better. It's also important to have relatively few words, like typically less than 10 words and normally a lot fewer than that. so that there's not too much to read. It's not too busy, like it's easy to quickly read it. And also so the words can be bigger, so people can actually see them and read them. Um, and then one other little thing that not a lot of people would mention, but is that now you're using a red thumbnail and red thumbnails don't perform as well on YouTube because the YouTube colors are black, white, and red. Um, your old thumbnails were blue and yellow and those colors stand out on YouTube a lot better. So go back to your brand colors.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Red th- I would have never thought that. Anything else that you see or any tips? Like, if, if you were <laughs> and said, cool, uh, uh, we want to grow from, let's call it, I think we're at 40 something thousand subscribers to 100,000 subscribers over the next year. Like, anything else that you would do or pay attention to that we haven't talked about yet?
1: I mean, you're, you're really going to see so much growth if you just do those few things. Like when I search, sort your videos by your most popular videos, then videos that follow the rules I just mentioned to you are the ones that are doing the best. And I would bet that most of the views you're getting today, you can go into your analytics and look at this, um, to see if it's true or not, but I would bet that most of the views you're getting this month are actually from those oldest, most popular videos, how to write a short story, best book writing software, publish a book on Amazon. I mean, these videos are. Nine, eleven, nine, and 10 minutes long. Um, and they were published a year ago, but I'll bet they were where most of your videos are coming from. And see so if you just make more videos like that, then I would bet that your channel will be at 100,000 um, within a year from now.
0: All right, well, we're going to follow in your footsteps, hopefully. <laughs> uh, this is great, Gillian. Really, really, really great interview. Um, two final questions here. Uh, first one being, knowing what you know now, and I'll actually go... Hmm, do I go book or do I go YouTube? Um, <laughs> hmm, yeah, I guess I'm just gonna have to do both, classic. Uh, knowing what you know now, uh, if if you were to look back to the Gillian that hadn't written their book yet, that was on this journey, or the, or the Gillian that hadn't started a YouTube channel, uh, what would your advice be? Knowing know, know what you know now. Mm.
1: Well, the book, so the one thing that I regret about the book and the thing that I think... I guess there are, there are sort of two things, but one of them is just if I had written a book that related to my business, obviously that would have been strategically better, but I'm not regretful that I wrote this book that I did because it was something that was meaningful to me. Um, so the thing that I would have changed about the book writing process, although my old self wouldn't have done this, so I don't know how realistic this is, but um, if I was to do it today, I would be more patient with the process. Um, Not necessarily the writing, I think writing in a month was fine, but I kind of rushed through the editing, I think, because I was impatient. I just wanted to get it out into the world. Um, And I wish I'd slowed down a little bit, given it a couple more rounds of edits, um, maybe invested a little bit more into a higher priced editor who did a, a better job. Um, because while I'm really glad I wrote the book, um, it needs a refresh at this point because it's not as high quality as it could be. And it's, even though it's not related to my business, I would promote it more today. Um, and it would continue to do better. Like I think more other people would promote it as well. Um, if it was just higher quality editing of it. Um, so that's what I would do different with the book, with the YouTube channel. I mean, can I say that I I would do something different? I don't know if I would do anything different. (laughs) Right. Uh, I, that sounds a vain perhaps, but it's, I think it's not considering the fact that I had a different YouTube channel where I did everything wrong. Right. And so this is my do over. This is my do over channel.
0: Yeah, that's great. Not to say I don't
1: make lots of mistakes, but I fix them every week. You know what I mean? Like I make a mistake one week and I fix it. So yeah.
0: (laughs) Hard work and continuous improvement. It's one of our core values at self-publishing school. Uh, so, hey, Gillian, this has been an awesome. Final question. I'm um, working people to go to find your book, your YouTube channel, uh, your business, what you're up to, all that good stuff.
1: Well, maybe if this is on YouTube, they can probably click over, maybe that or to, the, to the right of us there's probably a video over there with my name on it. Maybe, possibly, maybe. Um, But if not, you can like click up there in the search bar and type in my name, Gillian Perkins, you will find me Um, or you can go to gillianperkins.com or you can follow me on Instagram. If you want to see the very messiest version of the content that I put out there at Gillian Z Perkins.
0: Awesome. Gillian, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. This has been great.